a king and we want him now. We want a king and we want him now. We want a king. All right, welcome back to uh, Civil Discourse. This is not a safe space. Absolutely not a safe space. We're, we're just going to rock the world today. This is uh, yet again a new space. Uh, I don't know which order our, our episodes are going to present themselves here, but uh, we are now officially both coming uh, from afar. Um, I in my home, you and yours. Yeah, and we're both remote and, and we're using new technology. And there was a little bit of gap in episode there because we are leveraging this new technology and, and really trying to master our own uh, space, so to speak, so that we can uh, have more access to recording audio and, and maybe eventually video. You never know. Well, and for our listeners, the benefit of this uh, rough, rough road, such as it's been, um, is that there we've talked about some some great plans and ideas for future episodes with uh, special guests going on location, uh, meeting with people of all walks of life and, and profession and, and, and so forth. And as we're getting this technology really harnessed right, we're going to be able to explore some really interesting um, material going forward. That's, that's the hope. And, uh, you know, we've been, um, it, by the time you get to this episode, you already heard uh, two different sets of guests. And uh, hopefully there was a lot of value in those. And, and we're, we're going to continue to push the boundaries of what people are allowed to talk about, huh? Well, uh, the last thing we want is people coming on this show and acting like it's a safe space. So, <laughs> no, no, and you know, if if you get through an episode and one of us haven't offended you, shame on us. Let us know. Yeah, no, that we're not doing our job. That's all it is. <laughs> so, anyhow, welcome everyone uh, to this episode where we're going to tackle a topic that's going to be really challenging, probably for you and me. Uh, but, uh, certainly for our listeners, it, it, it needs to be challenging. It needs to be challenged. Um, and I will go right out on a limb and say, it's one of these topics where my own attitudes and opinions are still evolving like so many other topics we, we work with. Um, but this is the, the concept of, uh, gender at large, gender roles, and uh, specifically for today's conversation, the um, the, the the societal um, needs and and impressions and influence on men, young men, adult men, older men, um, maybe even boys, since it all starts very early on. But where are we today? Uh, compared to where we've been in the last, let's call it, fifty years, maybe. Well, I think I think it is an ongoing and changing problem. I, I think this is probably dates back to post World War II, if you really start looking at the trends, and, and so uh, the changing of men's roles in society. Some have been some of those changes have absolutely been positive changes, uh, and I think we both acknowledge that. But there. I don't think we look at the negative sides of some things, and and I think that's the path we're going to go down today. Um, well, and even in that, uh, it's it, this is very subjective stuff. Um, however, there have been a lot of studies done um, and observations made on the psychology, and I think that's really the primary thing we're talking about here: the psychology. Um, that the societal changes in expectation of young men, adult men, um, vis-a-vis women, of course, uh, parenthood, 
uh, professionalism and in the workforce and legacy, I think is, is a big word. Um, that was a major part of the male psychology, uh, or it has been historically. What is the legacy as, as a, a father, you know, leaving uh, future generations going forward as a profession? I mean, ancient Greek Achilles, the entire story of Achilles was, I have to, to uh, take forward this war so that my name will live on through history. Um, oh, I don't, it's, I don't it's, think he had the heel in mind when that happened. <laughs> but it is a story. Even in the Bible, we, Moses, your, your grandchildren will be as plentiful as, a, as the stars in the sky. Yes. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's throughout history. Men, men measure themselves by the legacy they leave behind. And I, I think it's because part of it is probably driven by the fact that women have a tangible legacy that they look at and say, that is my child. She came from my body. Uh, and, and they can see their, and they feel their legacy and they're forever connected to that legacy for the rest of their lives. Whereas, uh, men, we have a role in that creation, but we aren't the creator. Women are. And so I think we struggle with that. Um, we're a contributing source, right. but uh, we don't see the primary. We're, we're, yeah, we're not the principal vehicle by which children come about, and, and you know, it's it's there. There's that, that that symbiotic relationship that women have with their children. Men will never have or experience, and, and so you know, when when men meet, the first things within ten minutes. Well, what do you do? What do you do? When when men meet men. Yeah, we first, one of the first questions that comes out of our mouths in, in most situations is, "Well, what do you do?" I, you know, and it's interesting because uh, not only that question gets asked um, historically, but it's interesting. I think now that and and you can't have a conversation about men without talking about women. Um, and of course, we're not even going into the world of the non-binary gender right, right at this point, though I'm sure we'll get there. Um, these are conversations that not that long ago were only for men. This was the kind of stuff you did at the club, in the smoking room, you know, with brandies and cigars and pipes that we, men spoke as the phrase goes, as men do. And women had their own conversation and it was socially unacceptable to a fair degree for women, to, a woman to ask a man, what do you do? That you didn't approach that conversation. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, but somehow, probably because historically it was the man who was the breadwinner and he provided and women were to run the house at home. So it didn't matter what I did if, in the perspective of a woman, as long as I was providing. And would you say that's or I think there's some truth to that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I think there are women, I think women asked that question when they were dating, you know, what do you do? Because they're looking for potential, right? You, you know, nobody wants to attach themselves to a loser. And, and so, <laughs> you know, the question is, what do you do now? Or, 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 and, and, you know, in the case of young men, it's, I think you're being, I, I hate to be rude about it, but you're being assessed for potential. You know, when I was 19, 20, 21, 20, I didn't have a lot to offer at the moment, but was there a potential there? And uh, I think a smart woman wants to know if she's attaching herself to someone who, who brings something to the table intellectually, uh, as well as, uh, in other aspects of life. And, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, I think, I don't know that that's changed 
for single women, but it's certainly, you're right. Married women now, they're going to ask because a lot of them, of course, are in the, in the workplace and a lot of men are, are, are stay at home dads. Uh, well, and, and this, this sort of gets to the thing. A lot of these gender roles that have been traditional, um, have started to switch and, uh, you know, without going into a that's good, bad, or indifferent, I think that it has had an effect on the psychology of, again, especially uh, men, but, you know, truthfully, both women and men. And, you know, part of what sparked this conversation, we'll go ahead and cite it, was a, an episode recently um, of Bill Maher where, uh, and I think we'll do it. We'll put a link up to this. I, I will. I'll get a link on there. So when this episode drops, folks can watch it. But it, it was really interesting because part of what they were debating was, has the shifting expectation, uh, both, both imposed by society and self-imposed, uh, by young men, especially to go out, leave the home get a job, get a, build a career, have a sense of personal and familial security, have those shifting expectations. And unfortunately, in the world of, of our current economy, sometimes just opportunities. Um, because a lot of that has changed, has it affected the psychology of men negatively um, where it may be some of the contributing factors in uh, certain men, uh, young men that have, in some cases, turned to self-destructive, socially destructive, and, and literally violent uh, activities and means. Um, and one of the things they cited is that if you look at the majority of uh, sh shootings, uh, attacks, uh, bombings, whatnot. I think exclusively they've been men. Pretty much, yeah. It's Most it's very rarely, rarely men. very rarely women, very and rarely. almost entirely unemployed, or in some other ways disenfranchised. Uh, you know, men. Even if it was something that was a perception as opposed to reality, these were men who did not have a sense of fulfillment in in their role in society and they lashed out in some fashion so that was the question being posed wherever you may feel about that opinion and well, i think i think, I think there was some merit to the opinion and, and you know i i did some research uh, after seeing that bit and you, you had sent me the link to watch it and uh sent me down i i think i said it before we started recording in the bill maher uh, rabbit hole because i i enjoy him because he he's also having civil discourse on his show and and yeah. I, I encourage anyone, regardless of your political background, to just take a look at it. You know, he's a, a big believer in free speech and, and he allows folks to, to state their opinion without shouting them down. And, and so anyway, I did some quick research and, and, you know, you look at the Charleston shooting that happened a couple, three years ago, uh, disaffected young man who, who had to lash out at somebody. So he picked on a minority group that was going to church. Uh, the guy in Buffalo, same situation. Um, uh, and, uh, interestingly in both those cases they were people that identified themselves politically as left which i always found interesting why you're lashing out but that's another topic for another show um and, and you look at these these cases over and over the, the virginia tech school shooting the school shooting in columbine uh, these are young men who feel like they are not a member a contributing member of society and and, and in the case of columbine they were high school kids 
And yeah. so they aren't even supposed to be contributing members to society yet. And so, uh, well, now that's an interesting thing because I think that has shifted to a degree as well. Time was in our parents' generation, and perhaps yours and mine as well. I, I hate to admit how old we are starting to be. You, you're older than me, so it's yeah. I'm getting old. really old, so. <laughs> <laughs> but and he reminds me of this on the regular, by the way, folks. <laughs> Remember, you're older than me. <laughs> well, you know. Um, what are brothers for? It was, though, even as students, we worked. Now, we work within the reasonable expectations of a student, but you had summer jobs, you had breaking. I've worked, I've worked since I was 13 years old. I've never gone without something. Absolutely. And, and, and even if you didn't necessarily have a job, there were still, you still worked <laughs> contributive expectations on from the family and any number of other things. Now that has changed drastically. Um, there are certain uh, families that are lower income that uh, still may expect, you know, their able-bodied children to, uh, to try and do something, but it's very much not what it used to, the, at the level that it used to be. Now, whether that's a function of welfare or uh, other social programs that have provided uh, some form of, of help where work used to be the thing, I mean, that's probably another episode, but, but definitely uh, a consideration. But regardless, the expectations of young uh, boys and, and men has, has shifted significantly in modern society. And young boys and men grow up to be older boys and men. Um, and what well, does that do? I, I think the emphasis there is is, uh, and, and they didn't say they they didn't say this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, we have raised a bunch of older boys, and, and that's the challenge here. Is we have these thirty, forty, fifty, sixty year old boys running around, and and um, overgrown adolescent, I think, is how they called it on the. Uh, Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Well, we see them <laughs> and we see them and there's a sense of entitlement and, and somebody owes them something. And uh, a lot of them are, are misogynistic because they don't think they've gotten a good deal from women. And, uh, and I'm not saying that they're, that it's based in nothing. That's not my point, but you know, I struggle, I struggle with this, this whole concept that, um, you know, somebody owes you something. And, and so they're out there, uh, either flitting from, from butterfly to butterfly until the butterfly, until uh, the flower, flower to flower, like a butterfly until the, bu the flowers are no longer interested in them. And then they hate all women or they're on the internet engaging in uh, viewing of pornography or um, living in mom's basement when they're 42 years old. And, and, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a joke, but, but there's some reality in that. I mean, a well, lot of I don't these all. I, I think it's a serious concern. And, you know, again, not to make our whole episode about citing Bill Mars, but there were some really poignant things they brought up that are worth considering. And, you know, this idea of, you know, a couple of things is, you know, what is driving the segregation away from society and, and societal involvement? And on a, a professional level, you know, it is harder to, well, okay, I'm going to asterisk my own statement. On one hand, I'm about to say it is harder to build a career as a young person at this point. It in is. The sense, 
that we have traditionally considered careers to build. On the other hand, in the last three years, there is more hands-on, and I say I choose my words wisely, hands-on opportunity to work for young uh, people, let alone uh, boys and, and, and young men, than I think there's ever been in my lifetime. I've never seen so many help wanted signs. I think now, they may not be glamorous jobs. They may not be CEO uh, level positions or career tracks. But if you need a job, if you need to get out of the house and make some money and pay your bills, there's more than adequate opportunity right now. I, I think that is indeed true. There, there are plenty of jobs there in that world. And, and of course, you know, in the trades, they're screaming for help and can't get anyone who wants to even learn a trade. And, and, you know, Mike Rowe, uh, the um, former, uh, I guess, host on, on one of the shopping networks, who's then gone on to uh, Discovery Network and, and has done all kinds of stuff and made a real career out of this. But Mike Rowe has a foundation that, that gives scholarships to young people who are looking to get into the trades, uh, welders, plumbers, electricians, uh, HVAC, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, you and I have both had a lot of contractors come into our home in, in the last couple of years. And you and I have heard the same song in, from everybody. I, I just need help. I'm, I can't get good help that shows up to work on time, wants to learn, and, and doesn't leave till the end of the workday and, and does that five, six days in a row for, for 52 weeks out of the year. And I, every contractor I've talked to is screaming for help. Uh, but here, here's the issue. We, we're bringing these young men up saying you have to go to college to be successful. A lot of them took a year of college or went to community college and never finished. And now they're sitting at home looking through the wanted ads. And, you know, some of this work might be, quote, beneath them. And, you know, before before you respond, I'm, I'll stop after this comment. I started off my life scrubbing toilets. It's all work and no work is beneath anyone. And so... Don't cry that this work is beneath you. Uh, and by the way, if I had to, I go back to scrubbing toilets if that if that's how I provide it for my family. So I'll shut up now and let you respond. Well, it's it's an interesting thing because you know, for the most part, anything that is the the common generational psychology or attitude, I should say, is something they've been taught. It's something they've learned, and I think there, you know. This isn't black and white in the sense that you know, college good, nothing else bad. I mean, I think that that has been that has been a developing conversation. Time was that uh, I think in my high school generation, so we're going back to the the mid nineties. Um, it wasn't go to college so you don't get a blue collar job. The attitude I really, I specifically remember was even the blue collar jobs are looking for people with a degree. Um, and, and whether it was, uh, you know, a, a, um, associate's degree or something, but the level of technology was shifting in such a way, especially I, I remember auto mechanics. It was this like most cars are becoming more uh, an act of computer engineering than mechanics. You know what I mean? And so there was an attitude in my class generation that even within these blue collar positions, you are going to stand out amongst the, the potential hiring pool if you have a degree. 
And, you know, this, so they were looking for engineers and they were really pushing this, this sort of thing. I think that continued to modulate into a place where it was this idea that not only should you go to school, but it's to then have a better job than working with your hands. That started, I think, to become more of the discourse that, you know, now you go to school to get that law degree, that doctor medical doctor that whatever it is com- computer engineering so that you sit at a computer because remember when i was coming up computers were still a new right. idea right um and they they we were starting to have programming and whatnot um for these up-and-coming apple and microsoft and and whatnot but it was, still wasn't the mainstream career direction um it was just starting to get going and now what's interesting is I feel like we're hearing more and more, and maybe it's just now starting to shift the other direction because of what COVID has done to society. But now it's starting to be still we don't want the hands-on blue-collar jobs, but in order to become the big Mark Zuckerberg CEO-style uh, corporate executive, we also don't need to go to college either. Now we just need to be able to sit on our computer and come up with some bright idea, create a new app, become an Instagram star, whatever it is. And that is the measure of success. Well, and <laughs> as people, <laughs> people who both worked in the arts, we both know that those are the folks that hit the lottery. The Zuckerbergs are the, are the lottery winners. Uh, and I'm not saying they didn't work hard. I, I'm not implying that, but there were, 150 other guys who had the same idea who didn't get it off the ground because they missed, missed something or didn't time it right. I, I always tell people uh, before there was uh, Bitcoin, there was something called e-gold and e-gold failed miserably because it was too early, but it was essentially the same thing as Bitcoin. And, and so uh, my point being is that it's a matter of timing, luck and hard work, not just hard work. And, and so uh, to your point, though, I think you're right. I think now we say, well, Steve Jobs quit college and Bill uh, Gates quit college and uh, Mark Zuckerberg quit college, I think. I don't know if that's true, but I, I think the other two did. Uh, and, and you'll hear these guys cited over and over. Well, they didn't have to complete college to, to make millions and billions. And again, lottery winners. Uh, and I well, know. And I think it's also worth saying that uh, Mark Zuckerberg, if he did quit, he still got into Harvard. Right, right. And I don't remember. You're not talking about idiots here. <laughs> no, no. And Bill Gates, same thing. He was just exactly. making so much money working out of his garage that, that he, he decided. And by the way, that story is in my own family. Uh, my brother, Bob, uh, was, a, was a computer programmer in the time you're talking about where it was still a very, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a small niche skill. And he was doing his summer internships for money. And, and you know, he, he was uh, asking, you know, uh, what are you going to pay me when I, I graduate college? And, and the guy basically said what you're making right now. And he said, well, what if I don't go back to college? Can I stay here and work? Absolutely. And, and so he stopped going back to school after his second year, uh, his sophomore year and, and made good money in, in the world of programming, programmed in 20 some different computer languages and, and had a great career out of it. And uh, he did drop out of, of Harvard, by the way. Um, mm. And so Zuckerberg, Anyway, but, you know, that story is in my own family. And what's always interesting to me is that the two brothers of the, of the six of us who made the most money are the two that left college to go to work. And, and uh, in both cases, though, they hit a niche skill that was in high demand. 
Uh, my own son is in a niche skill that's in high demand, uh, sits at a desk in front of a computer, never finished college. But but those are the, again, those are niche skills that that are in high demand right now and do take a lot of hard work to get into. Well, I think that's the key right there. I was just about to, to add and you hit it. You know, first of all, you have to be willing to put in the work, would put in the hours, put in the focus. Oh, it oh, is oh. not sitting on your phone and thumbing around. No, my brothers, both the ones who I, I just mentioned worked, uh, 80 hour work weeks. They yeah. just did. <laughs> well, and you know, my, I've spoken to you of my uncle Pete, who, who, who I've never mentioned on this show before. He's long gone now, but, um, my brother's second, my mother's second oldest brother. And Pete was by far the wealthiest of all of us in the family. Um, and it was interesting because there was no more intelligent person you could meet. There was no more better self-educated person you could meet. And there was no more harder working person than you could meet. And he brought all of those three aspects together and built an incredible empire in, uh, in his, his career um, he, he essentially started off selling combines as out in the Midwest, eventually bought the company and can, you know, continued and went from there. And, um, but it, for his life, I can still remember Pete saying, well, you know, I don't have a degree, but I think you might be, it might be worth your thinking about this. He always would asterisk any contribution he made in a conversation with, well, you know, I, I didn't go to school, but. And he always felt self-conscious of that, having grown up, uh, well, it, it, in his career, having, having come up, I should say, not, not, not his age, at a time where the idea of going off to college was starting to become a major thing. Well, and I think, though, the, the issue that we're looking at today is seven, I think the number is roughly seven out of 10 incoming freshmen are women. women. Yeah, that's a big uh, So So men and... and uh, you know, the point is that college educated women either need to find that rare Uncle Pete who who is brilliant, even though he didn't go to college, or they're not or they need to find another college graduate to to marry. They're not gonna marry someone or spend their life or partner with someone who who can they can't have a cogent conversation with. And, and well and 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 it's interesting that it doesn't in any way give me pause to hear you make the phrase women in general, will not necessarily uh, waste their time with, you know, somebody who's just of lesser ability than they. Um, even though we all have that image of the guy who got that, how did he get her? Well, <laughs> but, yeah, but that, that's, a, that's an exception to the rule. Um, yeah. But it's interesting because I don't think, you know, just talking about uh, his societal history, Many times, men of great success in education have been with women uh, that we never questioned. You know, she, she may not have a degree, she may not have this, she may not have that, and and may not even be that uh, intellectually engaged. And th that was perfectly okay. I mean, it was this idea. No, of no, you and I both married women much smarter than we are. We just need to put that in there. So, well, because to me, I'm attracted to that. I am attracted to someone who challenges me on every level. Absolutely. Other days I wish he'd challenge me a little less, but that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, you know, to your point, I think there are women who are very intelligent without a college degree 
sure. who, who a college man, educated, uh, successful man is attracted to on multiple levels. And, and it's just, I think it's internal wiring where, 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 uh, that, that degree isn't such a big deal to us as men. And, and so, but when you live in a society, a society where seven out of 10 women are, or seven out of 10 college uh, freshmen are female, and you are living in a society where uh, the trades have a dearth of applicants to go into uh, that kind of work, where, where and what are the men doing? And, and the, the issue that concerns me is societally, we can look back through history where you've had large groups of uh, young men who have nothing to do in life. Productive. Yes. Yes. It it leads to violent situations. And and we saw this in the Weimar Republic in Germany. We we saw this in American history. Uh, We've seen this throughout history and Roman history where these large groups of unemployed, unproductive men start to terrorize communities. Well, to start with it's, it begins as self-destruction I think a lot of a lot of these uh, boys who are not, you know, young men, whatever you want to call it, who are not in some form of constructive activity, even children. I mean, we say, look, idle hands, devil's workshop, right? Right. You know, there needs to while there's room for play, I would argue healthy play is still constructive. Healthy play is engaging. It's using imagination. It's developing skills. It's out there developing social skills. There is a productivity happening in healthy play. It's when you're um, there's there's a very different level of stagnation mentally and psychologically that happens in front of a screen, in front of the electronic babysitter, in front of you know whatever it, it may be because. I don't think most of us look at a child sitting quietly by themselves reading a book and see uh, a rotting brain. No, we don't. Whereas if a child is sitting by themselves watching a TV show, short of Mr. Rogers or some other equivalent, uh, if there is anything equivalent today, um, that, you know, look and see a child who's actually growing in some fashion. And that carries forward. Well, and you know, it, it, by the way, Mrs. Koniger, my mother always said they call it programming for a reason. Uh, but but and she's the first person I heard say that. I'm sure she didn't come up with it. She probably read it in a book because she was an avid reader. But, you know, and, and we were just up there a, a couple of weeks ago and, and our boys. Uh, up in, here in Connecticut. Right, up in Connecticut. And, and our boys spent most of that time outside playing in the yard because you and I and their mothers uh, see the value of that kind of play where they're pretending to be whatever. And, and by the way, the wonderful thing is to watch your son who, who's significantly older than, than our ward here in the house. He gets to be a big brother during that time. So it was really fun to just sit in the window and watch them all playing. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, even if they're watching Mr. Rogers, I'd rather have them outside getting fresh air as my mom used to call it. You know, it, oh, it, no, no disagreement, no disagreement. Um, and and I would take Mr. Rogers over a video game. Amen. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because we talked about, you know, grown boys, um, not grown men, but grown boys. And this idea, how many uh, people from your age on to mine and down, but not teenagers, uh, how many times do we now see it as a common thing that it's, it's adult, uh, you know, what should be adult men? uh playing video games 
you know, that, that it's, it's an activity that never was something that would be considered an appropriate activity for adults. And, it's funny. And- it's, it's funny. I grew up in an era and I, and I am a, a bit older than you are where even the thought of adult men listening to rock music, uh, was, was considered a childish pursuit that, that once you were of age, you, you started to listen to classical music cause that's the music of adults. And, and uh, so, you know, if I had told adults in the 1980s and 70s that that men would be playing games in front of their television, they would have called me a liar. Uh, and, and and I don't have if you if, if that's your thing, God bless you. Go do it. I'm I'm not I'm not saying that men shouldn't play uh, video games within I reason. Within I reason. <laughs> this is where you know that's funny. I guess I, that makes me the uh, anyway. <laughs> liberal no. you, you, you staunch conservative inflexible whatever i can't even think of the words i can't say it with a straight face but you know if, if instead of i guess watching football you want to play video games i i don't really think that's a horrible thing i don't particularly want to watch football either yeah i was uh, gonna say that's not really but i do i do put on hockey as background noise when i'm doing something else so i do have a a, a couple bad traits here but my i think the point is though that to spend a day or a weekend doing nothing but playing video games, I, I, I don't see how that advances you socially, culturally, or financially. Well, and, and the thing that, you know, we're using video games here as a bit of a metaphor, but in, I think in, it is, in it's literal. The, the modern iteration of these video games is not unlike Facebook and other social media where people are engaging with other humans in the world, but not in the room. Right. right. They even call it in these things. You're in a room, a chat room, a game room, whatever it is, but you're still staring at a screen with an avatar representing somebody else who's staring at a screen somewhere else in the world. And somehow this represents a, an adequate quote unquote social engagement. Ladies and gentlemen, it does not. It no. does not in the slightest degree. And going back to this extreme result of some of this, uh, the negative possibilities of this kind of uh, development, if you look at the majority of these shooters and violent outburst uh, situations, how many of them had an ex- a significant presence online? They were in these rooms. Of course, of with, course. I mean, there's a commonality uh, where social engagement, regardless of what the conversation yeah. was during it, is in a form of of electronic chat. Yeah, not real. Right, and, and you know, there's this leads to the clinical depression, which they now treat with psychotropic drugs, and, and so psychotropic drugs then increase violent behaviors, and, and so it's a vicious cycle where. You're depressed because you're not having human connections because you're doing everything electronically. Now that you're depressed, we're going to put you on a drug that makes you more violent. And pretty soon it, it leads to really horrible results. And, and, and so I, I struggle, I struggle with all of this because, you know, anything in moderate, I, I, you know, in moderation, most of these things are probably just fine. And I don't think that, that we can really argue otherwise, though I kind of have your bias against video games, but, but I'm going to be on the liberal side this time. 
because you've never <laughs> seen me play one. So it's, uh, I I played Tetris a couple of times because I thought it was, it was something of a mental challenge. Yeah, uh, I, do, I play a couple card games in the morning to start my day off, and that's about it. And but you know, I, again, it's a puzzle for me. And so well, that's what it was. It was an interesting puzzle that right. occupied my mind for minutes, right? Not but, hours. but I think you know that goes along with this chat is now we have the pornography angle. And I don't want to get too into this deeply. Maybe it's a topic for another time, but we're, we're talking about women who are being exploited. A lot of them are Eastern European women who are being exploited uh, by men in an industry to sell imagery to young, well, to men, period. And it's an addictive personality that you can be addicted to pornography. And uh, consequently, the standard they have for women is completely skewed and crazy. Uh, and some of the, you know, so that makes them even less attractive to, to real women. And I'm not saying the women in the movies aren't real. I'm just simply saying they're exploiting and put exploited and put forth as a, a ideal that, that isn't really attainable. Um, well, I think we could have easily a whole nother conversation on that because, you know, some of the, there, there are some, I don't want to use the word parallels, but connective tissue between the social acceptance and 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 uh, acceptability of of pornography relative to uh, let's let's say adult uh, what's the term I'm thinking of uh, strip clubs and things of this nature, right? right. Um, and 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 then of course you have. Uh, prostitution and different societies uh have different levels of acceptability i think what is it in 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 the netherlands is it you know most of the western european countries most yeah. of them have have some form of legalized prostitution and and it's interesting because you said it right there that a lot of the uh the fodder so to speak for young uh, pornographic actresses are coming from at least the Eastern European side of things. Um, you know, is there a connection there? I don't know, but it it's worth at some point having exploration of why in our uh, puritanical rooted society is the por pornographic industry uh, such an ext extreme uh, level of it's it's a billion multi-billion dollar industry so you can't say it's just a couple of wayward uh, uh kids you know in their mother's basement by any means um but of course out in public it's not acceptable and we prostitution is not legal i think it might be in, in nevada, nevada. Yeah. um and only in certain counties in nevada by the way and of course, uh, that's also Las Vegas. So, you know, but, but it's not legal in Las Vegas. You have to go outside Las Vegas. Figure that well, out. Sure, that, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then, what is that relative to the industry of of uh, strip clubs and and adult entertainment like that, where it's you know hands off? But you could, so you know, there's another exploration there. But I think that part of the key that that's interesting is you know I'm going to make an odd comparison here. Uh, comedians, there is no comedian on earth that will tell you that they walked into, well, maybe Dave Chappelle, uh, but, 
almost across the board, they will tell you that part of what made them great was failing time and time and time again. Of course, yeah. Bombing is what builds uh, good uh, senses of humor because you learn what doesn't work and you learn to make adjustments and, and, and be in tune with your audience, with your, with, with, with the room. I would make this statement and, and, and feel free to write your letters uh, that dating is no different. I mean, I, I don't think you or I are pretty much the vast majority of, of, of people that, that we've come in contact or heard of, uh, married successfully their first ever uh, female count, you know, encounter. No, probably not. I'm, I'm sure there's some exceptions, but those are exceptions. Yeah, well, there's always an exception, but most of us had to get rejected, had to try a different approach, had to learn what it is to be, you know, have self-confidence and be respectful, you know, what it is. And this idea um, well, and I'll add to that, also learn that women are not what you see in the movies. Women are not what you see in the magazines. They're not. Real women have all sorts of bumps and bruises and curves and things, just like real men do. Well, and, and the funny thing is those women in the movies and those women in the magazines have the same bumps and curves and bruises that, that the women that you meet on the street do. They just have... $500 an hour makeup artists and $1,000 an hour hairdressers. And uh, yeah. well, now, you know, uh, computer technology just, uh, you know, well, photoshops those the out. point was, you know, my point, and I'm sure yours is too, is if you go on the internet, you can find them without their makeup and you look at them and they look just like, you know, the girl next door. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and the girl next door could look like them too. And I think that is part of the Im the problem is the image these these boys these grown boys have in their head of what a woman looks like is is a fantasy. It's well, a what fantasy. what a woman looks like and how men should interact with them. Of course, and because yeah, you know the, the the again this is the mythology. You know, I heard an interesting thing, and 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 I heard it this week where uh, this person I can't remember where I heard it or I'd, I'd send you that way posited that the the porn industry is driven out of Eastern Europe because it was a way for Russians to infiltrate American society and, and to make us weak. And I, I, I don't know that I believe that or not, but I found it an interesting idea. Mm, mm. And, uh, you know, thinking about it, I, I look at what's happening to American men particularly. And, and, you know, the military is, is, is a, it, it's, it's a co-ed or a co-ed organization, so to speak, but it is still predominantly men. Uh, probably 70% male. Uh, and, and so if you weaken men, does that have an impact on national security? And, and, I, and I don't want to go deep down that, that topic, but if I wanted to kill a society, I could do it using pornography. I really could. And, and I'm not saying it was intentional, but I think we're seeing the results when we see these mass shooters, when we see these disaffected young men running their trucks into crowds of people, uh, which has happened as well. When we see young men um, destroying uh, priceless things, uh, which is happening more in Europe than it is here, by the way, uh, where you know they're burning down cathedrals and destroying works of art. And, and we see these young men uh, committing extreme violence. Uh, there was a couple, three years ago when they were running through malls, attacking people in the malls and then running off. Uh, 
And when we see well, there's this, there's always been some, you know, wave of, 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 right, right. Again, my point is, 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 you know, this is a way to destabilize things in society. And I think the sheer number of disaffected youth today is a concern. And quick story, my roofer comes here, he, he's roofing my, my house. He fires a guy on the site and he says, if this continues, I'm going to have to start using immigrant labor because I can't find a good American to work on this job. And, and so that's the other part is we have immigrants who are hard charging, working hard, want to make a living and believe in the American dream, weren't sitting in front of their computers playing video games all day. So they come and take the work and you know what? You can't complain. <laughs> you had that opportunity. Well, you passed it by. <laughs> you're, you're touching on the other element. So first, let me say, I, I I don't want to give the impression that we're saying porn is the sole cause of all. Things. I'm not saying that at all. It's just I know, a contributor. I know not, but just, it's a contributor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a contributing factor, but I think it's more the metaphor of again failing to engage with each other in a productive way at every level. From children I think on porn out. and video games are symptoms. They're not the root cause. Exactly, exactly. Um, but they they also are perpetuating symptoms. So while they're they're a an effect, they are also a cause for further effect as it as it develops. Um, but then you know, again, as a metaphor, it's this idea of social interaction, the virtual social interaction being the uh, a, a uh, alternative to real social interaction. So, yes, I mean, we can go back and look at the development of the Nazi party and certain right-wing groups in this country and so forth where, yeah, sure, they got together in real time and in, in, in person and had some pretty uh, destructive conversations that led to bad things. But now you don't even have to leave the house for that. You know, whether the more engaged you are in the screen and in the virtual community, the more you can get into these echo chambers of discourse that you can pick and choose and cherry pick the kind of conversation you want to hear, not even have, just hear. And and that appeals to your sense of be it entitlement or, or, or rage or whatever it is. And like you say, uh, you know, people who don't want to get out and get the real job, but then are upset that they can't get a job that they feel they deserve, even though they're not necessarily putting the effort in. And instead of having that sense of self-acknowledgement and responsibility, well, why can't I get that job that I, I should be able to get without an effort? Well, because, you know, the, the Mexicans have come and taken it or whatever it is, which is not necessarily that simple. But then we start getting into these self-perpetuating lines of, of, of misreason, and it can lead to a, a real sense of destruction. And extremism, by the way, you said right wing on both sides. Those extreme movements on either side are oh, usually fueled, are usually fueled by by disaffected young men who want to get back at society for whatever reason it is. And, and right now it's right wing, but you know in the seventies it was the Weather Underground and, and the Symbionese Liberation Army and, and all those crazy groups. Crazy is crazy, folks, regardless of what side of the aisle well, they. Citizen, they I don't. I don't. I, did I say right wing? Because I didn't. You admit, did, uh, but but I don't think you didn't mean it that way. And I think we're just seeing it on the right right now. 
but, but I think that in 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 the the generic discourse, you will often hear anti-immigration dialogues or immigrant or non-American um, from the right. being, being associated more from a, a right side. Agreed. Agreed. Well, um, the truth is, and, and you know, it I, I, I comes from every direction. I, I claim to be a, a, on the right side of, of the middle, but the truth is that immigrants as a whole are, are givers, not takers and, and contribute much more to society monetarily than they do take from society. Uh, I think I've never read a study that indicated that the myth is, is, there's a lot of truth to the myth. Initially, initially the, the inverse is happening, but once they're established and are able to go out and work, uh, they are net producers for, for most societies that they're in. Uh, and so I, I think, and I don't want to make this about immigration, but I do want to say that we are in a situation where we have a large population coming into the United States looking for opportunity. We have a large population of young men who are not interested in working. And consequently, they're going to be 35 years old and never have had a real job. And a real job means gainful employment for 200 plus days a year, in my mind, eight mm -hmm. hours a day, 200 days a year. Um, and, and by the way, if you got, you're a guy like, uh, that has multiple streams of income and you're working in the, I'm not saying that's not a real job. Don't misunderstand me. I'm talking cumulative. Um, yeah. because lots of folks have six, seven different things they're doing at all times. So they're working folks. But, but anyway, um, I, I think it's, it's a hard thing to look at these, 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 I don't feel sorry for them. First off, I guess I should, but I don't, maybe you can give me, you can give me a ration on that one. <laughs> it's all self-imposed. Well, I think the key here, though, is, you know, again, going down the line, we this this idea of entitlement has has been taught. It has been accepted. You know, I deserve I shouldn't have to. And, you know, fill in the blank. I shouldn't have to whatever. And that then from a very early stage, I mean, I'll, there, I've had conversations with my eight-year-old many times where, well, I don't want to. Well, I didn't ask what you want. I told you that you need to do this. Um, and you are going to do that. There's no option. And, you know, this idea that we have obligations to contribute for our, ourselves, our families, our society. And because you don't want to, is not a viable alternative approach. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. You know, and that works. Too many young boys and girls. Uh, it is become it has become this negotiable. Well, he doesn't want to, so I'll pick my battles. And I've told you how I feel about the phrase "I'll pick my battles." I'm not picking my battles, and you know, I, it's funny because I've had this conversation with your son as well as mine, and and every nephew I've ever had, and nieces, and 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 I don't have daughters, but if I did, she'd hear it too. Uh, that word can't, you need to remove that from your vocabulary. Don't yeah. tell me what you can't do. Tell me how you're going to solve the problem. We can, we can have that discussion, but, but let's get rid of that word can't. Uh, well, and, I, I think two words need to go in the context we're referring to. Right, them, of course. Which is can't, yes, and want. Or, or it's inverse. Don't want. Don't this, want. <laughs> yeah, it's you know again in the context we're speaking of, ladies and gentlemen, this this idea that because I don't want to do something, I therefore don't have to do it. I don't want to clean my room. I don't care what you want to do. 
walk the dog, uh, feed the animals, contribute. And I think you learn the value of contributing to society by starting to contribute in the home. And that's something that is taught. Amen. Amen. You know, it's a beautiful thing when this, this, this uh, young man who, who has graced our home uh, for the last uh, nine, 10 months and to watch him picking up his toys at, what is he, 16 months, 17 months old, and he's picking up his toys and putting them in the toy box. Um, you know, you got to start early and, and you got to train them up right. And, and I'm not being funny about that. I think kids have to know they contribute to, to the home before yes. they can contribute to society. And by the way, before anyone thinks we're being buttheads here or, or being mean, <laughs> I went through a three year dry spell in my life where I was going, I was putting in 30, 40 applications for work a week and, and, and just couldn't get a sniff. And, and so I had about five side hustles going at any given time because I knew that if I didn't have a feeling of accomplishment, that it would hurt my heart. And mm -hmm. so if you're in that position, we're not criticizing you because both of us is, have experienced exactly what I just described. So, so it's not a holier than thou attitude or two guys who've been handled, handed everything on a, a sterling silver platter because ain't nothing close to the truth in that statement. We both worked really hard to get where we are and, and really hustled it. And well, so, and, and I, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head yet again, um, which is that there is a value, um, a, a psychological value to feeling valuable. And, uh, more often than not, uh, I think at least for men, I, I, I can't speak of women cause I'm not one, but I would imagine in their own way, it's the same thing. Um, we need to feel valued. And one of the major ways we feel valued is by having some kind of accomplishment that is, that has a tangible reward. And let me define that. It, with, with, with your standard job, that reward is called an income. Right. Uh, when, with your, when we, do work around the house. You're, you've been doing a lot of work these last couple of months on uh, home improvements. As much as your back may have ached uh, beyond description, uh, I know when you finally got that floor put in that you spent all those hours on your hands and knees, that oh, sense of accomplishment was the reward and a worthy one, I would, I would imagine. Of course um, it is. And, and you know, what, what Charles isn't telling you all is he gets the videos when I'm done. So obviously I'm proud of what we've done. I want to show it off. And, and, you know, and, you know, that, that, that is important, but I'll let you continue. But yes, absolutely. You, you want to well, feel like you've done something. I think that the value of work, regardless of what form that, com that, that reward comes in. I mean, sometimes, you know, it, it, I don't want to be gauche, but rewards come in all f different forms. I mean, whether it's, your your spouse or partner uh, expressing gratitude. Uh, I mean, as a child, when you've worked hard, there is nothing more rewarding than getting you know having your parent, your mother, your father look you straight in the eye and saying how proud they are of you. Of I mean, that is a reward. And and you know, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about this uh, specifically. There has to be something tangible. And a hug is a tangible thing, a pat on the back, an attaboy, uh, a check in the mail, whatever it is. 
we need to, to see something that reminds us that we've contributed, that we have value. And when we don't have that in some way, um, I think it leads to a, a, a personal devaluation, which when we don't feel we have any value, we start to self-destruct. I, I and, concur. <laughs> and that can demonstrate itself in many ways. It, it, and when resentment is part of that self-destruction, now we need to revenge in some fashion. And this leads to these attacks and, and I other agree. violence. I agree. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's a sad story, but you know, the real the reality is that, that young men and young women, I'm sure, uh, and children need to hear their dad say that they're proud of them. And, mm. and we always want to hear that. And whether we, even when we have dysfunctional relationships with our fathers, we want to hear it. And, and so it, it is a struggle. And, and I remember the great deal of pride. And I was a 50 year old man when it happened. When my dad, I was down visiting my folks and uh, he, he takes me to the German American club because my parents are immigrants. So they're very active in the German American club in their area. And, and he introduces me as Dr. Koniger around the room because he was obviously very proud. And the feeling that gave me is unlike anything else you can yeah. experience from a parent. And the fact he wanted to take me around to all his friends and introduce me as hair doctor. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and you know, I think just, just to bust your bubble a little bit, you do realize that wasn't about you at all. Oh, of course not. It was, was he raised him saying, look at my son. <laughs> That's exactly what he was doing. But when you're the object of, hey, look at my son, that feels really good. And, <laughs> and so, you know, here, I think this, this, you know, we always try to leave with some positive points here. First off, you got to invest in your kiddos. You got to tell them how proud you are of them. They need to hear how much you love them. And you got to save them from this, this world of pornography. I grew up in an era where you were lucky if you found a magazine in the dump that had a picture of a woman's breast. Now your kids can get it on their phone that you let them have in their bedroom when they're eight years old. Mm -hmm. Not mine, so you, you need to monitor that stuff. You really do. And, and you know, there are controls you can put on the internet so they can't get near a lot of that stuff. They're going to find it, but they can't get, get near a lot of it. Secondly, throw them out of the house and get them away from the video games, get them away from the television, have them go play. If they can't go out because you're in a city, find activities for them to do at the library or get them in new rec, rec leagues or something, please, please, please. And, and third, I think you hit on this earlier, Charles, where you talk about they need to have a job, whether it pays money or not is immaterial. If they're volunteering at the local shelter, that's a job. Oh yeah. Let me, <laughs> let me also just asterisk because I've had some disagreement um, even with my own wife in some areas, because we were raised differently. But I think it's also important, you know, like I said, contributing to the home first. Absolutely. Uh, develops a sense of, of the value of contribution, which moves forward into, you know, their families and society at large. However, and, and, and please feel free to disagree with me. Just know that I'm right and you're wrong. But um, I... I strongly uh, have difficulty with this idea that children should be paid to do chores. I think chores are very important because this is the contribution. But the reason you do that is to learn the value of contributing to the household, not being paid to contribute to the household. And therefore, if I can't pay you, 
this week that you don't have to contribute. You don't have to do the dishes. You don't have to clean up after the dog. I think there's a very slippery slope there. And I'm, people have disagreed with me about this, but it is the difference between I can remember going to visit my uncles and aunts out in the Midwest when I was a kid and they, it would be harvest season. My, I, my mother's side of the family were, were farmers and they're baling hay and they're, you know, cleaning up animals and doing all kinds of stuff. And I couldn't wait to get out there and help. One, I thought it was fun, but two, I wanted to help. I wanted to participate and never in my mind did it cross the, the, the idea that I should be paid for having contributed to the family. Could you, I wanted to. Could you imagine Uncle Pete hearing you want money? <laughs> no, I mean, forget about my mother who would have put me over her knee, but he would have done it, you know, first. And, 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 and as far as I'm concerned, rightfully so, you know, metaphorically speaking, but I have noticed this generation now when I'm the, 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 uh, the older family member, uh, I can ask for help. It rarely gets volunteered. And it's actually been suggested that maybe, you know, if, if, if uh, a family member were to help me out with something at the house while they're visiting or whatnot, if, that I should maybe uh, throw a couple dollars their way. Oh, I would, I would throw that right back in your face and walk out mad. And I'm not being funny. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 and, and because you and I do work for each other when we're visiting and, and we help out with, well, but you're an adult. I mean, obviously I'm talking, I don't, about I, I don't care how old I would have been. I'm not being funny. If I was 13 and came to your house to visit my uncle Charles and you tried to pay me, my mama raised me better than that. And now it's an acceptable thing. It's this idea that now they're playing video games. I mean, maybe you can give them a couple bucks. They'll come help help you. My aunt had to slide money into my bag when I wasn't looking for helping her out. There was no way I would have been ever allowed to take money. Not even allowed. I would have never thought to ask for money. It just wouldn't have ever crossed my mind. And when offered, it would have been declined immediately. Uh, it's just, it, it was, this is family. And when it comes to family, you do things for family. And, I, and if they want to disagree with us, we'll give you the email address in a minute. <laughs> Seriously. Well, and I would argue, you know, expanding the definition of family, our family and friends. I mean, neighbors. Well, friends you, are family oftentimes. Yeah. So. You know, I just, I would never in a million years. Now we have like, we've had our, uh, our neighbors, a teenage boy come help watch the dogs. That's on different. Occasions, and we throw a couple of bucks his way. Um, and they didn't even ask. I mean, we, 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 you know, we're happy to do it, but I will tell you, and I guess this is the double standard on my own part, but if they said, you know, could your son, could Alexander, uh, come help us on Saturday? We need, you know, some help with whatever I, it would be hard for me to suggest maybe you could give my kid a couple of bucks for his help. I wouldn't do it. I, just, I, would I wouldn't struggle with that. You know what I mean? The conversation a couple of bucks for his help. So I guess that's an inconsistency. It is inconsistent, but and and it's funny you should say that because if let's say Alexander was visiting us and the next door neighbor wanted him to come over and help with whatever it is, which Alexander does spend time here at this house. The conversation he and I would have before he walked out of the house is if they offer you your food, you you take it and say thank you very much and you eat it. You don't complain. You eat it. If you don't like it, you better swallow it. And number two, if they offer you money, say no, thank you. And if they try to give it you, to you, say no, thank you. Uncle Mike says I can't do that. And, and and that would be the direction I would give your son when he walked out the door. And yeah. and, and I, I just 
And to your point, I think when a, a child contributes in the household, that is important for them to realize that that is their contribution to the household. Now, I'm not saying that you can't say, hey, son, uh, that big pile of wood, I need that move. This is not a regular chore. Uh, if you'd like to earn some extra money, I, I've got some extra chores for you. How about you move that pile of wood? I, I think that in that context to give kids a, an opportunity to earn money, I think that's perfectly acceptable to add uh, unique jobs to the list that aren't normal chores. Well, and you know, each household can have their different thing. Now, that being said, I also don't have a problem with the idea of a an allowance. But if I give my kid, you know, my teenage kid a, a couple of bucks of an allowance, it's because I want to give him some allowance. It's not because I want to pay for him for his contribution to the right. household. There, and there is a difference there. You know, it may seem like you're splitting hairs, but there is a difference. You in know, an allowance is a tool to teach children how to manage money. Yeah. And that's a whole different thing. And, and I agree with you. And I don't pay the allowance because you contribute to the household. Um, I, I give you the allowance because, as you said, I'm allowing you to have some money of your own to, to, to take with you. Um, and I can also stop allowing you to have that money. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but no, you can't stop doing your chores. <laughs> no, that's not an option. And, and you're not going to hold your, your allowance hostage because uh, you don't want to do chores. I, I'm sorry. That's not the way this works. Yeah. I, I but, you know, we've talked about a lot of topics and we've, we've gone about our hour. And, and if you want to disagree with us, how do they tell us that we are just absolutely wrong? Because there was a little disagreement between you and me today. Well, somewhere in the 90s, I think they came up with this concept of email. And I'm just I'm just now, you know, getting caught up with these uh, these modern modern technologies. But I think we put one together. It's it's a civil discourse, T-N-S-S at gmail.com. That's that's civil discourse TNSS for this is not a safe space at gmail.com. What do you think about this? What do you think about uh, young people, especially young boys uh, uh, working? We're going to have another conversation about young girls too on, in a, on an upcoming episode, because this is not just about the men of the world. Uh, women are absolutely uh, essential. and, and we I, I think we ought to pull a guest in on that conversation, by the way. You think you're saying we should have a female perspective when talking about females? I think we should because, and maybe we should add a female perspective when talking about boys. Uh, maybe we'll have to have another episode about this topic as well. <sighs> yeah, well, I guess you're saying we didn't cover everything there is to say about it. Who well, it'd be unique. You know, I, I I always found it I found it interesting that uh, you know we have more we have more DNA in common with male chimpanzees than we do female humans. Number one, and and. By the way, that. before we go, I have a quote I wanted to throw out here by a guy named Michael Hoff, who who is an author who wrote a book called "Those Who Remain." If you if you know the New York Times bestseller list, and his quote was, "Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times." So we're in the the weak men <laughs> cycle. So stand <laughs> by for heavy rolls is all I'm saying here. But listen, this is this is a great topic. We know that we can't cover all the aspects of this in an hour. I'm sure that some of the socioeconomic pressures we glossed over very quickly could have been discussions all in themselves. Um, I, I think uh, we broached the topic of immigration, which deserves its own show or shows, by the way, because we have perspectives on that, that are pretty unique, particularly I do as a son of immigrants. Uh, and I, I do think uh, this was really a, a good starter conversation. And, and we appreciate you sticking 
with us through the end. And and by the way, before I give him back the microphone, I'd like to thank Charles once again for being the driving force behind this, for steering the conversation the way he does and, and really getting us to both express our, our ideas cogently, at least with some fashion of common sense, I hope. So anyway, well, gonna, I'd like to thank our listeners for putting up with your liberal nonsense. To <laughs> and, uh, I don't know how they deal with your rigid, hardcore, right fundamentalism. Anyhow, whose fault it really is, I think we're going to blame uh, our, our, our illustrious engineer, editor, and occasionally contributing co-host, Keith Sedroyevi. It's all his fault. Uh, it's all his fault. But there are other people who are at fault for all this nonsense. Who else do we have on that list? There are. uh, We are generally and historically, we have been uh, produced and recorded at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, Connecticut, even though today we are not coming from there. But we still thank them for their support over the last year and the School of Communication and the Arts, Dr. Jim Castengay. Our uh, music is brought to you from the Lazarus Trio, Carl Groves and Mike Koeniger, who have... uh, Really, uh, I don't know who these guys are, but uh, they don't sound bad. So I think it's a, it's a decent way to start the show. They're pretty good, yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, my uh, indescribable. Uh, I, I I don't know. There aren't enough words to to describe the imitable, uh, inimitable. I can talk, uh, Doctor Conager. He just couldn't come up with any pejoratives at, at the drop of a hat. <laughs> I know. I, I totally just 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 tripped over myself there. So oh. no, it, it's I appreciate it, and I appreciate you and and all of that. And you know, I, I think we always have these conversations because we truly care and if you've listened to our episodes i think you truly care too so we are, we are eternally grateful for you listening and providing the the the, the emails and the verbal feedback we get from you get that and, like buddy. And, and yeah please give us those five star reviews and t- if you don't like some of the things we say you can write about how horrible we are underneath that five star review uh please subscribe please tell your friends please spread the word um we we, we depend on you to be our uh advertising force out there and we want to thank you for that so thank you very much charles for all you uh, you do here and i appreciate this wonderful conversation well thank you mike and thank you listeners and we'll catch you next time we want a game we want you now we want a game we want you now we want a game Surrender